Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Robert, along with Sports Radio 610's Sean Bajani. If you're new to the show, welcome aboard. 45 years in journalism between the two of us. Over 35 covering sports in the H. And let's say the Astros lost weekend because I know we want to forget about it until later in the show. But Sean... I can't be more pumped to talk Rockets, brother. Summer League was fun, and I hope you're in for a massive take that could sound like a little bit of a hyperbole from me in just a few minutes. <laughs> I mean, how could you not be excited about the Rockets Summer League? It was uh, it was a really good start. I mean, it was maybe kind of poo-pooed on the uh, uh, injured ankle of uh, Amen Thompson, but I mean, <laughs> you got what you thought you were getting, I think. And Amen Thompson, uh, just tremendous athlete. You know, I hadn't paid a lot of attention to him up until about the last month or so. And then finally getting a chance to see him play wearing a Houston Rockets uniform. I understand now full well what a lot of people were really excited about. So it's yes. going to be a fun summer, dude. Yes, absolutely. And let me, I'll start with Amen because that's, what just means a lot to the entire future of this franchise. I'm going to start off by saying that Amen Thompson is going to be, in the next few years, the best of these young Rockets players, the most valuable for sure. Because like I told you in the draft, Sean, he brings two elite skills, passing and defense. But I don't know what you thought, Sean, but watching him, and I grant it, it's summer league, but he didn't make a wrong decision. His processing, the neck up, we could talk about, he's probably the best athlete on the Rockets immediately, but I don't even care about it because from the neck up, that guy did make a wrong decision, was making passes that were reminiscent of LeBron James, you know, just really amazing passes, so good that, the center was getting hit in the head because he wasn't ready for it, which was like Magic Johnson stuff. But it wasn't just that defensively. Defensively, Sean, this is what me- means something immediately. You know, when guys play defense in the NBA, you see them get within about a foot or two of a guy because they're afraid to get up tight on him. But what Amen Thompson was doing, he was getting into guys' space. And you go, well, man, that's that that might be smart against NBA level athletes, but none of the guys on Portland Summer League team were trying to drive by him. And he might have got burned like once or twice doing that mm-hmm. because he knew that I'm just a better athlete than everybody. And it, it wasn't just that he knew that he was a better athlete, he cares about defense. And for those two reasons, I am so excited about this guy. Defense and making your teammates better. That's why, and and I could explain more, but to start with, that's why I think he's going to be the best rocket down the road. You know, just the the great equalizer, right? Um, I mean, everybody's athletic, okay? Everybody's got some type of skill set that is NBA level. I mean, you've made it to this point, but the difference maker for a guy like Amin Thompson is exactly what you'd said. I mean, he's just smart. He's got great basketball IQ and you know you saying that maybe he's already the best athlete on the Rockets right now I mean I would argue you know that a little bit but what I think really makes you say that is the fact that he is so smart understands where he's at on a court look we knew he had kind of an NBA type body you know coming in and we like the total makeup but when you know where you're supposed to be, where your teammates are going to be, and really what to expect from a defensive standpoint and really an offensive standpoint, where your defender is or where the guy you're guarding is in relation to his team, you understand your space. And that can make you look a heck of a lot better. The one thing that I would say, and you mentioned it, look, yeah, it's summer league, so I'm not going to get like way over the top about it. But this portion of the season, you know, seeing – uh, the, these new draft picks and how they are developing with their new team, assimilating to the system that their head coaches and, you know, offensive and defensive coordinators, so to speak, you know, want to run. 
it's just about seeing how well they fit. He fits really, really well. Uh, I don't think they're giving these guys too much too soon. It just looked like they were out there and very comfortable in that setting, sure. especially him. But I would say this, in, in terms of the overall athleticism, I think, um, yes, in in two, three years' time, because he's only still 20 years old, <laughs> you know, this guy's body is going to continue to develop. I'm just, I'm stoked about guys like Jabari, about Jalen, you know, about Amin, about Cam Whitmore even. Yeah, yeah we're going we're gonna to get to Jabari, but, you know, you, you just said something that I thought was really interesting. You said, I'm not sure he's the best athlete. Your your argument, I'm sure, is Jalen, right? Yeah, Jaylen? 100%. Yeah. Okay. Well, the reason why you think Jalen's so – you've seen Jalen dunk and explode and whatever. Mm -hmm. But trust me, like, this guy has that – look, the Rockets said they – the, they did the vertical on him. He jumped two feet over the rim on his – I think it was standstill. And they're like, uh, yeah, we don't need to do it more than one time. <laughs> and look – you didn't see the athleticism because why? Because that guy was, he was more concerned about setting up his teammates than like, I'm, I'm going to go try to, you know, dunk on everybody. And you right, saw right, right. Cam, Cam Whitmore, he, he's got to get a little bit better as far as decision-making at the, because he was just trying to overpower everybody. I'm trying to duck on everybody. No, that's not the way I'm, I'm in Thompson plays. And, I, here, here's what I'm going to do. The compare. This is why I say he's the best prospect among the Rockets players. Mm -hmm. Number one, he's got those two elite skills. I don't think Jalen will have two elites. I, I just don't think he's going to ever be a great defensive player or a great passer or a great rebounder. That's the kind of elite skill I'm talking about. As far as Javari, he could turn into a, maybe he turns into a great defender, I think he can score and shoot just like Jalen can, but I, I haven't seen the other skill that, that he's got. But here's the other part of the equation, leadership. I don't know if you noticed, Sean, already, give me the ball. I'm the guy. He's coming up court. Cam Whitmore is holding on to the ball. He's looking at him going, give me the basketball. And yeah. you didn't, I haven't seen that from Jalen. It's the alpha thing. And I was arguing with people on Spaces today. Somebody was saying, well, you know, the best player isn't always the alpha, but the guy that gets you to the point where you're winning a championship is the alpha guy. And I think Jabari's got some alpha in him. I don't think Jalen does, but Ahmed's got the alpha. He's got the athleticism from the neck up. He's got the will, the want to, the drive. He's got all of these things. And it's it's what I read, it's what I see on 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 interviews with him, it's what I hear about him, yeah. it's what I saw in person. And I know it's summer league, I know it's summer league, but man, the level he was playing at, coming from overtime elite mm -hmm. to playing against not just oh, it's summer league guys. Scoot Henderson is legit, man. Sure. Uh, Shane Sharp is an elite athlete. They they played some some real guys. If he, if we were planning to get Charlotte summer league team or some of these other ones that look kind of, even that Detroit team that they played in the second game looked a little mm -hmm. garbagey, but that, that there were some real guys on that. And it, it, man, I just didn't see that from a lot of, I watched some other summer league this weekend and you just don't see what, what they're doing with even his brother didn't look like that. No, no, no. But, you know, look, the thing that makes it more impressive is, I mean, he, there are they are playing against guys with uh, a year of NBA experience under their belt in a lot of cases. I, I, I do like that. You know, a lot of what uh, what we saw from Amin, I, I, I said I do want to pump the brakes on a little bit because NBA veterans, you know, they're going to figure out and already know how to exploit, you know, some of those things that he was maybe able to get away with another rookie or a second year player. I'm not trying to, you know, downplay anything. I'm just trying to kind of maybe tamp everything down a little bit. But I mean, you should be super excited about Amin. The guy's absolute got game. And in terms of being that alpha male, he's a quarterback of the offense. He's a quarterback of the future for the Rockets, so to speak. You know, he's going to be running the show at some point one day and, you know, probably off the bench, you know, as the backup point guard this year behind Van Vliet. I would love to see that. 
and he should get some reps. But that's exactly what Ime Adoka has to want, what the staff has to want, is that young guy to go out there and take command of the offense when they're bringing the ball up the court and be aggressive, but be smart. And I think you saw all of those things, you know, albeit just a brief sample size. That's what you want. I mean, we talk about the same thing with another franchise pick, you know, just down the road on Kirby with C.J. Stroud. You want that guy to take immediate leadership. Because that's what you demand out of the position. That's what you demand out of the pick, really. If you're taking these guys in the top five, and the the Rockets have three of these dudes now, that's exactly what you should be demanding, what you should be expecting, what you should be getting almost every single time you take one of these guys. And I think Ime is the perfect guy to get that. But I also think this duo now of Amen and Ime, if there was anything that Ime didn't need to do, with Amin that he really needs to try and pull that out of Jabari, pull that out of Jalen, it is that alpha. It is that will. It is that aggressive next step to take your game to another level. Amin mentally is already there, and he's got the God-given gift of the physicality that had him ready to come into this league already. I'm excited because of everything that we've talked about so far. I think a lot of people have really just forgotten about, been negligent about, and just focused on Wimby and Scoot and Brandon Miller. You know, your top three guys, people are going to take notice, I think, real quick about the game that Amen has once the regular season gets going. Yeah, and this, again, you're going to think I'm crazy when I say this, but if um, Amen ends up, the starter late in this season or even in the next season. I just want to, I want to prepare Rockets fans. If he ends up the starter in the next two years, do not be angry at the Rockets for signing Fred Van Vliet because Fred Van Vliet has still got value. If sure. Rob Man Thompson hits big, like I think he can, and a lot of us think he can, then Sean, so what? You, you basically still have a guy that's going to be a locker room guy. And I know it's like $40 million, but it's two years. And he's still going to be able to impart the wisdom that Alman Thompson might be using for the next 10 years with the Rockets or that Jalen might be using for the next 10 years with the Rockets. So don't panic. Don't panic if all of a sudden he's starting and it's like, oh, my God, they're so stupid because they gave $40 million to Fred Van Vliet for just, you know, for the two years. It's not your money. It's not my money. It's nobody else's money but Tillman's. And, you know, the way that I look at these things, um, they had money to spend. Yep. And they had those guys out there, not named Kyrie Irving, James Harden, you know, the name. And, you know, you're going to pay these guys an absorbent amount of money, max money, just to make a splash. But are they going to make your team better? Van Vliet is talking about championship mentality already. What's his goal? What's this team's goal? To get to an NBA championship. And that's the kind of talk that you should be hearing and, and, and listening to from your Rockets. And we haven't legitimately had those conversations or even been able to ask those questions or think that way for the better part of three, almost four years, really, if we're being honest. And so if you're paying Van Vliet $40 million, but you're getting you know, $25 million in value play from Amin Thompson, a freaking rookie at season's end and into next year and into his third year, then it all kind of evens out. It doesn't really matter what you're paying these individuals is are those individuals helping your team, helping develop the young guys that are going to be the face, the future of this organization. That's how I kind of look at it. And to be quite honest with you, I think that's probably how Rafael Stone and Tillman Fertitta and anybody that's charged with making these types of decisions, especially financially, have to be looking at it. You get your guys in with the right mentality, with that will to win, with that experience, that championship pedigree, agree it's worth the price of admission it's okay. worth that 40 million per okay and by the way shot says all that rafael stone is a whole other issue that i might need to talk about later and we've talked a little bit he's about gonna it, be but, an issue until he's not you know but but, <laughs> but we, there's a there was another piece to drop this weekend that i'm going to get to that in a second because it's important but i'm going to stay happy because uh, today's like a special day in my life, just a hint, hint. Um, and, and, and so I'm trying to keep it positive for, for the beginning. And we got to talk about Jabari. It's been, we're 15 minutes of the show. Jabari was the star of the Rockets over the summer league, two games. 
They're sitting him and Tari down for the rest of summer league. And of course, our men with the injuries gone. So Jabari, there were, is summer league real for Jabari? And, and is that a real thing? Cause he's a second year player. You're going up against guys that either first year, they're, they're guys that might not make a, a, a T an NBA team roster, whatever. So is he real? Sean, I have two reasons why I think there that you have to acknowledge what Jabari, what we saw from him in the summer. You have any idea what my two things are? There's two things. No, tell me. Okay. Number one, I remember when Jabari was drafted, they said there were two things that two, a couple of things they said about him, man, this guy, he's never going to be able to handle the basketball. He's just a spot up. He's clay Thompson. This guy doesn't have a handle. So he'll, he'll never have a hand. You know, the, the idea was yeah. he'll never have a handle. Well, guess what? He's worked on it, and I've seen the progress. And people talk about it from the end of the season to now. He was making progress all along the season, and mm-hmm. we saw it. The handle looks legit now. Number two, and this was a little bit more subtle if you watched him in the, in this, uh, G League, in the uh, Summer League game. Mm-hmm. Number two, passing yeah he he start you're starting to see the vision and he was better than i thought he was going to be passing during the season but those two things that stuff translates into the into a regular season and that that means something yeah sure and and that was that was impressive yeah no i I, look uh, again another young ascending player um to be able to say this guy is not going to be able to develop into this that or the other thing at his age (laughs) at any one of these guys ages i mean there's so much left for them to learn and you know you talk about the you, you talk about the environment in which they've been asked to develop over the last year this is a new page this there's there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Don't forget, he was one of the youngest players in the NBA last year. I think he was like sure. in the top 10 youngest players in the NBA. Sure. He was a young 19, I think, or he was definitely 19, mid-19s when he came in last year. Yeah. Number two, that dude, we talked about it a year ago. Work ethic. Mm-hmm. He's got it. Yeah. He he doesn't stop. He's no, I, got nonstop, like, I'm going to get – if you if you keep hearing that from everybody that watches him and coaches him, you got to start believing it, don't you? Uh, 100%, 100%. But, hell, I don't care if the 75% of the league was 18 last year. You know, 19 is 19 and 18 is 18, and you can develop, and you have not reached your ceiling yet. Um, again, you know, you draft a lot of these guys on what they can do, but also what their ceiling is, what their potential is, and they've got to be in the right spot, right situation, right coach developmentally. And I think finally now, you know, you've got a really great core around Udoka, around this team that is going to take these guys to a different level. So sure. I expect him to look better against guys that have zero NBA experience versus his, experience you know albeit a cup of coffee so to speak he's just getting started i expect him to look better he should look better he should look like he's you know a level up but individually from a skill set standpoint from shooting we saw how hard he worked and i think i think if we're being honest we were way more frustrated with uh his ability to shoot the basketball last year than he was he busted his butt and what at the end of the season you could see the progress um and i would expect to 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 see you know much of the same this year just incremental steps there is a ceiling there but even even when he maybe realizes what his ceiling is you still continue to strive and again i'm pumped up about the staff that they got so i expect those guys on this staff of udoka to polish his game um over the course of the next two, three years before we realize what exactly we have in a guy like Jabari Smith, even a Jalen Green for that matter. You know, I'm intrigued and I'm going to be watching really closely this year outside of that guy who's just a natural scorer in Jalen Green. Where else can he add value to this team? Is it with better defense? Is it with being more active, um, you know, on the boards? Is it, you know, becoming a better passer? 
What is it? Is it movement away from the basketball? Because becoming a smarter basketball player, which I think de facto just putting Udoka's name on paper and saying that he's the Houston Rockets head coach makes every single one of these guys better already because they're heading in a different direction. They have a smarter coach. They have a more disciplined coach. They have a more NBA ready to win coach and system around him. So I think for all of those reasons, I would expect a lot of improvement over the course of the next eight, nine, 10 months for this organization. Yeah. Cam Whitmore haven't mentioned him yet. There were signs that, you know, he's got incredible talent and we saw just improvements from game one in the G league. Yeah. I mean, I keep saying G league, summer league yeah, game one to game two. Um, you saw the improvements immediately and you know, he is now going to get to show he, he take 35 shots now because there's nobody in his way. Take, there's no Jabari in his way taking shots. There's no Tari. Yeah. There's no Ahmed Thompson. This is all his. So I'll be interested to see what, what he's working on the next couple of games. The passing's got to get, get better. The decision-making's got to get better. But we saw improvement immediately. And, you know, I, I, I like him, but I am not expecting him to be a rotation player this year. However... If somebody gets hurt, I'm going to be excited to watch him if he gets a chance sure. to be on the court for 15 or 20 minutes. Sure, but he's definitely going to have to improve uh, shot selection. And, uh, again, you know, you never know what they're asking these guys to work on individually in these games, but I would anticipate that uh, the Rockets weren't all too pleased with a lot of his uh, shot selection in these games. Uh, I got really tired of seeing the word chucker. <laughs> Next to his name in well, my Twitter scroll, but it kind of yeah, is what it is. That's a lot of that's a lot of summer league, though. There's a lot of checkers out there in summer league. There is, I get it, but look, I, I, I think he's you know certainly got a lot of talent, um, but he's probably got the furthest to go, you know, amongst the four individuals that we're talking about. For being honest, you know, effort I mean, though on defense, we saw effort yeah. on defense and. I don't know how much I, I'm going to credit the Rockets' new coaching staff, or oh, it's just him. It's just it's it's him too. I mean, yeah, like they haven't had a chance to work with him a ton to this point, but the effort was there on defense, especially. I mean, that first game, he had double-digit boards. He was working the boards. No um, doubt. I didn't feel like, you know, he he. I saw him get on the. I saw him, Ahmed, both get on the ground like that. That's like Tari getting on the ground. That's that's what Tari does. Like mm -hmm. that dude is like, if I could put his motor and all the Rockets players, oh we'd yeah, have, we, we'd have a championship team tomorrow. Yeah, but, but but I think I think that's where you have to credit the coaches and their evaluations, but also the players like those dogs in in Tari Eason that you already have, right? And if you're a guy like Cam Whitmore, you've got to find something to separate yourself. He knows he needs to work on his shot. He knew he knows he needs to. Uh, develop. I mean, he hasn't played with these guys, but a couple of weeks, you know, he knows he's going to have to figure things out. But what's one thing that you can show the staff, you can show your teammates that you can do without really being taught, right? You already come in with the will, the hustle, the effort, the want to, and you can apply that defensively anywhere you go. And so I always expect these young guys like him, especially in this situation, man. And this has got to be a part of the culture with, with Udoka and, and, and this Rockets organization, period. Defense, hustle, effort, that dog mentality, that's, that's the culture. I guarantee you all of those words have come from Udoka since he stepped foot in Toyota Center day one. And so if you're, if you're a guy like Cam Whitmore, that's the one way that you can easily separate yourself and get people to take notice and that you want to be here, you want to improve, but this is one area that they're not going to have to really spend a lot of time on. It's getting to know your teammates, getting to know the offensive system, learning how to switch when it's necessary, and some of those things. But that will to win defensively, that dog mentality, I expect that from everybody day one. Yeah, and I think we made a lot of it last year, but most of those guys aren't on the roster, and it, and really – I mean, the focus is on Jalen and Shangun as far as defense this year. Yeah. What's going to happen with those two guys? I mean, it, it really comes down to those two guys more than anything because they're, they're, they're the two starters that you have the biggest question marks defensively. Mm -hmm. Rafael Stone, I've got to talk about. So Saturday night, 
it's 1030. And I see Woj put up a, the tweet that the Dylan Brooks contract is now 90 million, but 4 million are incentives. And hopefully the incentives are, mm-hmm. you can't shoot more than five shots, Dylan Brooks, but I don't know what the incentives are yet. So let's forget the 4 million. It's still $6 million more, <laughs> Sean, than we thought. And it just, it keeps getting, man, that whole like screw up is worse and worse, worse and worse. I mean, just because of a few more million dollars. I mean, we already knew it was a bad deal. You know, um, we already knew he kind of counted his, ch- you know, chickens before the eggs hatched um, in, in sending the picks away, you know, for what you got. But again, I, I go back to this. You're going to make mistakes when you put yourself behind the eight ball. And this was the most pivotal. This was the biggest off season. There's no overselling it in Rockets history, man at least in my lifetime, there's none bigger coming from where they did and obtaining the talent that they had. This was the biggest year, period. You're going to make mistakes. Rafael Stone is probably not, and I'm not going out on a ledge on this, the best possible candidate for this job. He's but, my only concern moving forward about the whole franchise. It's he him. should be. He should be. But he was the easy answer once Daryl Morey left you hanging high and dry. You know, and maybe we felt a little bit better about things because, you know, there were the reports. Well, you know, uh, a lot of the moves that Daryl made, a lot of the valuations that Daryl made, the man behind that was a man named Rafael Stone. So I was like, oh, okay. Cool. Well, let's give this guy a shot. Well, when you tank three straight years, and I get it that first year, that was just, it it was the only way to go. Yeah. The second year, I think, I I really think the second year too. It's, I'll agree with the second year. Sure. But, you know, for the the Rockets fans, it was that third year. The third year was the problem. Sure. This past year and the reports about him meddling and conniving and overstepping and halting practices and all of that stuff. I mean, that should be bothersome. That should be worrisome. But that's going to follow him until, you know, kind of like the same analogy I made with these players until he shows that he can do one thing really, really well. I think he's got something good going for him right now in the sense that, look, from a PR standpoint, what's being written about and talked about right now is the fact that, hey, he's hands off. And clearly everything that we're seeing right now from the talent coming in, not necessarily how you got him, but from the talent coming in, Yudoka's the man behind the mission right now. He's letting Yudoka cook. And I think that's super important. I don't think it's impressive. I don't think it should be a surprise. I mean, we all know that Yudoka was one of, if not the hottest commodity head coaching candidate on the market this offseason. You should leave that dude alone. He's not Steven Silas. He's not learning on the job. Okay. But yeah, I I agree. I I don't think he's the best best guy for the job. Uh, You could do a lot better, but this is what you have. And that's not to say that he can't get the job done, but he's not doing it by himself. At the end of the day, if this Rockets club over the course of the next two years launches themselves into serious contenders within the Western Conference, then a big piece of that thank you pie is going to go directly to Ime Udoka and the staff. Um, and then sure, I'll give you a hearty handshake for the talent acquisition for what you did to get it. Not so much. Well, let's there, remember, is a, there is a way out. Let's remember as far as the guys that they picked up this year, Dylan Brooks and Van Bleet. Yeah, there's no question that these were guys that Udoka said we're mm-hmm. going after. Yeah. And really, I mean, we need to have a whole other conversation. Like what has Rafael Stone done so far? But in my personal opinion, and this is this really isn't even opinion. I think it's just fact. The guys that the Rockets drafted at the top of the draft, which I think the guy they're, they're the guys that matter, Jalen, Jabari, Amen, they're they're gonna be the Rockets' best players. Those guys were chalk. This is NBA draft gurus said this is who you go after. That's hey, some teams still screw up chalk, but they were chalk. Can can but can Whit Cam Whitmore was chalk. Um Tari Eason, I would say most draft guys would say the guy the one I exception. Say Cam. I wouldn't say Cam. 
I would not say Cam at all because well, he he was okay. I'm just saying everybody else. Like I think a lot of teams screwed it up and a lot of GMs screwed it up, and it just like picked the best most talented guy on the board with Cam Whitmore. Like I don't have. Let me just point out he he's down the guys that I have confidence moving forward. That's going to be like the guy that's going to turn the Rockets around. But I mean, every draft board that I saw, he was top. Most of them he was top five. All of them he was top ten, top mm-hmm. eight, top I mean, eight. I, most of them. I get what you're saying. You know, I I understand when you're talking about guys like Jabari and Jalen and Amin. You know, chalk picks. Like, of course you're going to take these guys. Those are best available players. Um, but you know, a guy like Cam, I mean, you know, for all of the reasons that we already know from the knee, the character stuff, um, just the immaturity, you know, there's probably a lot of teams that are maybe that would have been in a different position than the Rockets are right now, organizationally that would have said, you know what, it's not worth the gamble. We can get better value here with this guy or there with that guy. Um, so, you know, anytime you get outside of really the top 10, I, I don't, I don't want to talk about like chalk picks, you know what I'm saying? Because I think teams weigh things a lot differently than other organizations, but I get what you're saying. We give Rafael Stone credit for, you know, the drafts and things like that. And it's cool. You know, you found Shagoon where you did, um, but he's going to have to um, significantly improve the way that I've, I'm I'm really tired of seeing this word and hearing this word, but it is true to a degree, you know, asset management. He's going to have to get a lot better at that, you know, and that's something that Daryl Morey was impeccable at um, almost at the drop of a hat. If you needed a horde of picks, uh, Daryl could find a way to get you great value, whether it be in the first or second round or whatever the case may be. But uh, Rafael, come to the trade deadline, you know, maybe not this year, but maybe next year. It depends on how good this squad is, maybe how bad the Western Conference is. I fully expect them to be in a mix for a 10-9 spot play-in uh, situation. But uh, certainly next year, I'd be looking at Rafael Stone uh, and how aggressive, how smart, how crafty, shrewd he could be to improve this squad at that point in time in the midst of a playoff run. Uh, I think that's where we're going to end up judging him between right. now and then. Uh, yeah, and I I don't know if his job is in – I just don't think his job is going to be in jeopardy in a year unless the Rockets just completely fall on their face, and I don't think they're going to fall on their the face. The way his job gets put in jeopardy, again, he's the architect to have gotten to this point, you know. What what ha- what happens in a year, though, that you think it would make his job in, in like one year's time? How good is this Rockets ball club right now on paper? What Udoka is able to get out of these guys? I mean, if they have a really good first season with him this year, at this point next year, not this point next year because the season had even started, but I would say, you know, like December, January, if that team is looked upon as severely underperforming, and he had an opportunity to improve it in the offseason, or well, he has an opportunity to improve it at the trade deadline and doesn't and can't because of lack of asset management, lack yeah, of, yeah, of uh, you know trade, like, oh, yeah, but, but look, Udoka struggled with the Celtics early implementing what he had to do. I'm not expecting much in November. It's gonna take time. They, 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 they've got to get all the bad stuff with Silas out. This is a whole group of guys that have got to come together. There was, you know, several of these guys in the rotation weren't even on the team last year. The starters, Van Vliet, Dylan Brooks, we know those guys. So, no, I I, I just don't see a scenario. I mean, I don't know what has to happen. I don't see a scenario where his job is in jeopardy. I think I just gave it to you. I mean, that's obviously best case scenario in terms of developmentally. You know, Wait, no, this- you gave me best. Well, how is his job? You didn't say how is job. How is his job in jeopardy in a year? We win ten, 10 games next year. Like, how is his job? In- yeah, I just said like if you severely underperform. Okay, um, how many wins is underperform for you? I mean, they won twenty two ball games last year. I think on paper right now they should be better improved. 15 to 20 ball games. They should be in the mix for a 10-9 spot at season's end. And I'm not saying if they're not, his job's in jeopardy. I'm saying the following season, if you were that improved, if you were a 40 to 43 win ball club, and at that trade deadline of the 24-25 season, you're not able to get a, a job done. You can't swing a deal 
or you get fleeced and it doesn't work out, that would be the earliest possible situation in my mind that we're talking about Rafael Stone being on the hot seat. Yeah, I, look, you can win 15 more games next year. Go look at the teams ahead of the Rockets. Go look at the Western Conference. Go look at how many wins it takes to get into the play-in. They still might not make the play-in. You're I mean, right. The, the last it, two teams in in the Western Conference last year had a winning percentage of 50 and 51%, right? It was Oklahoma City and New Orleans. Okay. Yeah, but asking this, you're saying 50%. That's a 41 and 41 record. That's uh-huh. 19 more wins. I mean, you could have injuries. Stuff could happen. You just, you have no idea what, you know, we have to put it in like context. And really, I said those top picks are chalk. The more likelihood, the reason why they're not winning is Jalen Green falls on his face. Javari Smith falls on his face. Alperin Shangoon falls on his face. That's the more likely thing. And frankly, I don't think if those guys fall on their face, I don't like go after Rafael Stone because except for Shangoon, most of these guys, like I said, everybody would have picked Jalen and Javari. Everybody, everybody would have picked that. Right. So how do you blame him if they suck? You know, it's it's not a question of blame, but it's a question of, okay, how do you make the adjustment? You know, these guys that you picked aren't working out. How do you adjust? Where are you going to get the talent in from? Make that move. If he's unable to do that, you ask the question at what point in time, you know, is Rafael Stone, so you, uh, his you, job you're in saying, when you're he's saying, unable to do his job and continue to improve this team. You're saying halfway through next year at the trade deadline, like it's his fault if those guys don't look quite right that he didn't tr- like he doesn't trade Jabari and Jalen and start giving up on those guys two and three years into their. I just don't. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't. I'm sorry. I just don't think his job is in jeopardy in a year. And I mean, you know, I just, year, dude. Like we haven't played the season yet. This season, I don't, he's safe. He's safe. There's nothing that he's going to do or not do at, at the end of the trade deadline. Yeah. This upcoming season, I'm talking about 24-25, okay? Yeah. No, it's going to take – This guy's not a GM emeritus. Like, Yeah, it, it, his job is – but I'm saying I'm saying you got that. you got two years left of Rafael Stone. You got two years. I'm just telling you. you got sure, two. and in 24-25, he would be entering into his lame duck season as general manager. That is a make-or-break year. Is this guy going to be eligible for – uh, a massive extension at that point in time, you're two years with this squad as it's currently constructed. You're two years. And in some cases with guys like Jabari, you're three, you know what you've got. And if he cannot continue to improve this squad without hemorrhaging draft picks and capital and putting this Rockets organization in a very tenuous situation in which they have zero value down the road in draft, then at that point in time, you have to go out and get yourself another general manager. That's all I'm saying. This guy's as as safe as anybody could possibly be this year because this was the architect. This is the blueprint. Now it's time to see exactly how sturdy this whole thing is that he built. You know what I'm saying? Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Again, I mean, I, I don't like him, but I feel like we're going to be stuck with him for two Nobody years. Nobody likes his ass. I haven't found one guy in, in Rafael's corner. Like if we're being honest, that is like going to die on that hill, that this is the general manager of the future. This is the next Daryl Morey. He's going to be here for the next 13, 14 years based on what? This is a huge thing to do. I know it's like the cool new thing to do in sports over the last decade and tank your ass off and acquire a boatload of picks. But at some point it's got to work. And if this ball club is not significantly improved in two years' time, then you got the wrong dude. It's time to reevaluate because you've changed everything else. You've changed the players. You've changed the staff. The only one constant is you. And at that point in time, we might need to be start talking about just exactly how active or inactive their owner or the owner's son is and everything oh, that oh, he yeah. has to do. Yeah, yeah, that's a pro- that, that, that'll be talked about then for sure. Um, Sean, how – disappointed are you that the Astros offense struggles again over the weekend? How disappointed are you that this Astros team didn't, can't do anything except for Martin Maldonado? You know, it's, it's the offense now is just Martin. You've got to, you've got to be frustrated about Martin Maldonado having to carry this offense. 
How how ironic. I'm not disappointed at all. A week and a half ago, this team was six games behind the Texas Rangers, and you win the All-Star break, you know, two games behind them. I'm not disappointed at all. I, I mean, I should be sitting right here telling everybody I told you so that was freaking out, you know, over the course of the last two months. Over what? You know, over what? You the job that you did, okay, sure. It has a little bit more to do with the Texas Rangers and maybe how fraudulent they've been over the course of the last month, but you still did what you needed to do in Dallas, Arlington, Fort Worth, wherever the hell they play. You took that series from them. You came back, took care of business against the Rockies. You had an opportunity against the tough, forgotten about this season, Seattle Mariners ball club. These two teams, they battle it out, man. And I forget that pitcher's name for Seattle. He's that 6869 guy that was just dealing. The Astros can't touch him if you look at the last five starts, uh, him versus the Astros. They haven't figured him out. He's that really goofy-looking guy with the long hair. He needs to get his hair cut. Uh, but you know who I'm talking about. I'm not disappointed at all. I, I thought – from where they'd come from, everything that they've gone through, if you told me right now today with all of the injuries they had, you're only two games behind the Texas Rangers, if you're being truthful, like, you can't be upset at that. Like, you can pro- prognosticate all you want to about, ah, this isn't a World Series team. This isn't a World Series team. What did you think about the team during the COVID year? I know it was a fluky year. Cool. But what did you think about the 20, 2016 team? You know, at various points, what did you think in 2017 when you were 25, 30 games above 500, and then you go get Justin Verlander? If you weren't thinking World Series in 2017, you sure as hell were when you got Verlander. Dana Brown's yet to cook for this ball club. He just did – the real reason why he was brought here as an improvement at the general manager, he's in the midst of it. He's he's doing his draft. Post-draft, now it's really time to focus in and tunnel in on free, not free agency, but the trade deadline. And that's what this ball club really needs right now is help from elsewhere. Is it going to be an arm? Is it going to be an arm and a bat? Is it going to be a starter, a reliever, and a bat? We'll what do you see. want? What do you want? I want a starting, I want a starting, uh, uh, starting pitcher. You know, a, a, a legitimate one, two, or three guy for Dana Brown to go get. Now, what is it going to cost you? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I think it's going to cost you maybe some guys that, um, <laughs> you know, would be regarded as your top prospects. If this organization has any one untouchable guy in the farm system, I'd have to say it's probably Drew Gilbert. But anything beyond that, I think you have to have a conversation about it. But I think if you get anybody right now this year that's going to help you in the starting rotation, they're currently wearing a Houston Astros jersey uh, and playing at Minute Maid. You're willing to give up Chaz for this? Am I willing to give up Chaz? I mean – that's a tough one. Uh, I'd have, you know, for who, you know, if, if it's, uh, if it's a rental, I would have a, I'd have a problem with that. You know, I'd like to package a couple of other guys that do the same job, you know, um, if, if it's a Myers and maybe you package a really good arm in the farm system for a starting arm, I'd like to keep Chaz. I think he's a difference maker. I really do. Defensively and offensively, how far he's come. I just think he's he's a winning baseball player. Is he's anybody if somebody if you told the team you get Jake, does anybody care about Jake? I mean, Jake Myers, nobody's gonna no, look. Him. I mean, it's you know, it's like sitting down at the trade machine and it's like, hey, we'll give you these five really average to below average guys for your really great player. It doesn't happen. You can make the money make sense and all that stuff a lot of the times. But teams aren't going to do that. It's not realistic. I he, get it. He, he adds to another team's hair game. If you're like, hey, we want your like legit starter. You guys need a better hair game in the outfield. Take Jake Myers from us, please. I'm, I'm willing to bet you, and I don't look at all this stuff on the regular. I do peek at it from time to time. But I'm willing to bet you that his defensive metrics are just slightly above average, okay, for a center fielder. Um. He takes some bad paths to balls, though, man. Takes some bad paths. Fair. Fair. It is, I, I think, usurped by the terrific plays that he does make, okay? I don't think he's exactly Jim Edmonds where he's half-assing it to a ball and then fake dives to make the da na na right? Which I don't really even buy into anyway, but that's what people say, and they like to pick on Jim Edmonds about that. Um, I, I think he's a really good defensive player. And there's another ball club out there that might think, you know what? 
here with our hitting coach and our system, you know, we'll see. We think we can get the most out of him. We think he's just right there. I don't know. I, I like Jake Myers just fine. You know, he's growing on me. Would I like to see Chaz in center field over Jake? Yes, 100%. Why I'm not willing to trade Chaz just for anybody. If it's another difference maker, you know, that you're going to have around for a little bit longer than just the next couple of three months, you know, let's talk. But I think Chaz is a a, a ball player that is a difference maker. What if it's I Scherzer? I would be willing to give him up for just anybody. If it's Scherzer, man, I got my reservations about those guys that come from New York, one. But I also have my reservations about aging pitchers and Scherzer's injury history as well. That is bothersome to me. So, again. He's a, he's a rental, right? This is his last year. Uh, I, I don't know if he has if there's like a team option or a player option on uh, the 2024 season. I'd have to go back and look. But, I mean, again, at this point, like just given his age and recent injury history, I'm – what did Dana Brown say the other day? We're not in the business of giving up prospects for rentals. And, look, Chaz isn't a prospect. Like he – what you've seen from him, that's probably who he is, right? Maybe this is like his peak. Maybe this is like his Marwin Gonzalez year, you know, for the Astros. And if it is, fine. I got to keep that guy on this squad for this year if that's the best I'm going to ever be able to get out of him because he's a plus player at the plate and in the field, and I don't want to give that guy up for some dude that may not even pitch for me come October and a guy like Scherzer because of XYZ injury. I'm just not willing to take that gamble. But if you can get a younger arm that's you know been durable, that you know maybe has had some playoff experience before – Cool. I'm willing to talk there. You just simply need improvement and a little bit more faith in a guy. That's why I say you really need a one, two, or three. If I'm being realistic, I'll take a two or a three. You can't be going into the postseason having to rely on Renel Blanco and a Brandon Belak, you know, as like two dudes beyond a Fromber Valdez. And who knows if Christian Javier figures it out this year or not. Yeah, Scherzer's got a player option, $43 million next year. I got to ask you this because I consider you our MLB draft guru. I want you to go pick by pick and give me at least two minutes on every single asterisk. You got, you got the, you ready, Sean? Go. I haven't go. studied, <laughs> I haven't studied him yet, but I'll tell you this. Um, I'm, I'm liking what I'm reading so far. You know, I saw a little bit of these guys over the course of the season. I was doing some work for a U of H doing their baseball PA. And so we constantly had ball games going on, you know, um, in the press box. And so we got a chance to, you know, watch a lot and see a lot. And I, to be quite honest with you, I'm not really one to follow college baseball all that much uh, outside of just the college world series, but I certainly did a little bit more this year. And so a lot of these guys that the Astros got and even some Houston talent that, uh, um, you know, has been plucked away from other major league baseball clubs and other uh, Atlanta Braves got, uh, uh, a really good pitcher, I believe it is, from uh, Klein Oak uh, today. Uh, let me let me ask you this, because Bryce Matthews was the first round pick. A Tascacita yeah. kid, everybody's excited. Yeah. He's a Houston area guy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely talent there, but he was not, I don't believe he was top 40 or top 50 for a lot of people. They got him at 28. Uh, you could... You could get happy because it's a Houston area kid, but I don't know if that masked the fact might have been a reach. Now, I don't, you know, maybe with the baseball, the one thing about baseball, Sean, is I, I say all that, but man, it is the biggest crap. I think of all the sports, all the major sports, it's the biggest crapshoot. When you reach for a guy in the NFL at 28 that everybody else has at 50, everybody is like, what are you, got? What are you doing? What, what's going on? Same yeah. thing in the NBA. It's it's like a major, major deal. But I, I don't know about, you know, you, you don't know enough about somebody like a Bryce Matthews. Like like a baseball first rounders, we, we've seen guys just totally, you never see the major leagues and they're drafted sure. at the top of the first round. Yeah, well, and you, it's not often you feel those repercussions, you know, for reaching on a guy and having them not work out. It's not often you feel the repercussions, you know, with inside two years, you know, with a guy like Bryce Matthews, he's 21 years old. Um, you know, all the talent in the world, just a, a complete ball player. You know, we'll see how much of a reach it is. Uh, if you read the scouting evaluation from the Astros on him, I mean, he'd be sold in a heartbeat, but I mean, Hey, would you say they reached on, you know, guys like Mark Appel, 
and uh, who was that other cat? The uh, the other pitcher that you know turned out to be a stiff and always hurt. Um, well, for you know, Whitley, that was that was it no, not Aiken? Whitley. There was another guy back then. Uh, well, Bra- well, there was Brady Aiken that Brady never, Aiken, that's that, they never about. signed because he had like a yeah arm issues, issue, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, you felt the repercussions from those picks almost immediately because those two guys were thought to be just, you know, big league track inside of a year and a half. Like, they should be contributing top-of-the-line guys. For well, well, Whitley was a high school kid, so I don't think he works. No, not Whitley. I'm talking about Aiken and Appel. Um, oh, Aiken yeah. Appel. Well, yeah, Appel for sure. You thought that guy was going to be up in a couple of you, – did you didn't see repercussions because the Astros – you know, they won the World Series after Mark Appel a couple of years later. So, I mean, uh, I don't was, know. Was it that close? Was Appel that close to that time span? Because I was thinking like Forrest Whitley was like right around there. He's been in the system since pretty much 2017. You weren't worried about it because you were mowing through dudes like Verlander and Cole and Greinke. I think Appel was, you know, a little bit further back. Um, yeah, but, th- the 13 draft. So four years later, I mean. Yeah. I mean, you were losing 100 ball games, you know, every year, you know, that was taking you right up until the end of that era, you know, before you started kind of getting the taste of wanting to be good again in 2015, 16, uh, before the World Series year. But, you know, my point is, is you can reach on guys. I mean, go look at the draft boards. I have so much fun doing this, like, you know, post-draft, like just going back three, four, five years later, how many big league ball players are taken in like the seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth rounds? You know, like those are so fun to look at. It's like, holy smokes, how'd you miss this guy? Hunter you know? Brown. Hunter Brown's the yeah. perfect example. You know, he's struggling a little bit right now, but I think he's getting yeah. tired. It's his rookie year officially, and he's pitching a lot more innings than, you know, it's time to give the kid a little bit of a break. But I mean, Hunter Brown, he was drafted. Let me. I'm, I want to double check when he was drafted, and that he was a fifth round draft choice. So he's not, not that he's the ninth or tenth, but a fifth round guy that the the Astros are now considering. You know, this could be a top of the rotation guy down the road. Was he 2020? He was drafted in 2019. 2019. Okay. Yeah. You know, Hunter Brown. Case in point. Another reason, forget about the injuries, just how about performance? How about results? Another reason why the Astros have got to go out and get a top of the uh, line starting pitcher ahead at the, tra- uh, at the trade deadline. Because you don't know what the deal is with Christian Javier. You got one constant, you know, in Framber Valdez. And hell, seems like here recently, anytime that dude pitches, he's going to pitch well enough to keep you in a ball game, you know, give you six strong innings. But hell, you got to score some runs for the guy. You know, um, so if you don't know what you're getting out of Christian and Hunter Brown, by de facto, is like your second best pitcher. But he struggled three out of his last four outings, uh, you know, to hell, get out of the third inning. Um, you need more. And it's oh, nice wow. to get the contributions you're getting out of Belak and France and Blanco. But hell, before this last start with Belak, he was struggling. You, know? you, re- you remind me, though, of something you, you talking about that reminds me of something. I got to bring up because I know you're Peggy positive on the Astros. You're not worried about them. I'm not worried about them making the playoffs. I know that you're not worried. The whole thing, if you're an Astro fan now, is you know this is we're a postseason team. Can we win the whole thing? This is mm-hmm. the Astros now. This is, we don't we don't play for playoffs. We play for the whole enchilada. Mm-hmm. And the biggest my reasoning behind the the why this Astro team. It's gonna it's gonna be a half miracle if they can win the World Series. It's not just that they need. We've talked about it. It's not just that they might need one starting pitcher. They might need two starting pitchers. But we haven't talked about this maybe enough recently. They've they've had to start so many young guys that aren't getting deep in games. Remember the guys last year would get deep in the games. This bullpen that's semi struggled anyway some of these guys yeah that they're going to be they're they're chon they're going to be worried the astros bullpen was so strong in the postseason last year because those guys didn't have to pitch that much this bullpen is a concern brian abreu i don't like how many innings that they're having to throw him out there because he's a he's a young guy a young i don't i don't want to blow his arm on trying to do something this year that I don't know how realistic it is this year. And there's, he's, he's not getting much help besides 
Presley and, and Neris. And, and that's right. my concern. Both, both Neris and Abreu pitching way too much. We should feel fantastic about the contributions you've gotten from all these young guys. Who cares if they go five? You know, the fact that you're getting nothing out of Montero, the fact that Ryan Stanick, ever since his disappearance in the postseason last year, and we were all scratching our heads like, hey, what the hell's Dusty doing with this cat? What's wrong with him? Is he hurt? You know, did his arm fall off? Did he lose a finger? Like, what's going on with this dude? Still ain't heard what the hell happened to him. But he came back this season, and he's not the same dominant dude that he had last year. Uh, that he that that he was last year. So no Montero, no Stanek. If you had those guys performing at a and even like a somewhere between where they are now and where they both were last year, you'd feel really good about the fact that you've got you know an Abreu, a Montero, a Stare, a Stanek, a Neris, a Maton, and a Presley in your bullpen. But but Sean, the the, yeah. the issue is that you're talking about how well they're pitching. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying they're pitching way too much to have gas to go I know. through. I, I heard, I heard everything you said. I heard everything you said, but I'm saying you wouldn't be talking about that either if you would be getting the contributions out of Montero. And no, no. I would still be talking about it because I would wouldn't, still be Because they would be eating those Abreu innings. They would be eating, you know, those innings from uh, Neris. You know, you don't have to pitch them every couple of days just to get critical outs because you could, con- you could, you could trust Montero last year. You he's could trust still throwing. Last year. He's still throwing Montero out there quite a bit, man. He's still throwing him out there a lot. Yeah, but I mean, if we're being honest, I mean, hell, over the last couple of three weeks, you're not seeing Montero in those high leverage situations that you typically would have been last year. This year, I mean, he's pitching ten one ball games, you know, fourteen nothing ball games. Like since he's been struggling with his stuff, and you've been forced to throw him out there to get critical outs, and he hasn't. He hasn't. You know, we had that two out, two inning outing. What was it in Texas last weekend, right? Where it was like, "Whoo, hey, that's pretty good." Like lower the ERA a little bit. His next outing, he gives you uh, gives up two hits and a run. I think gave up a homer and a walk. You know, and it's like, God bless. You know, like what's it going to take with this guy? That's why I say you don't only need a starting pitcher, but you need some bullpen help as well. And what is it going to cost you? It's going to cost you, you know, a, a pretty high talent in the farm system, but it's also going to cost you guys that are currently wearing Astros jerseys. And if you're Dusty Baker, you might be a mad son of a gun, you know, inside of the next month when Dana Brown has to pluck one of your key ball players away from you. If he does, if it's Chaz, if it's a combination of Jolks and Myers, I don't know. Um, it's going to be interesting. Well, let me just, I'm going to go through real quick the appearances by the bullpen guys. Abreu, 43, Mayton, 41, Neris, 40, Ryan Presley, 39, Montero, 37. Rafael Montero has two less appearances than Presley. He's got six less appearances than the most bullpen guy to Abreu. That's not, a, it, it's not a major difference. What's Stanek? Uh, Stanek is right below, but there's a little bit of a drop. He, he's got 32 games. I, I, I would be interested where he was at this point. Last year, Dusty doesn't trust him a lot to begin with. Um, Seth Martinez has 29. So that's that's your major bullpen, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You need another one, man. You need another yeah. one. Oh, without, I think, I think they need at least one starter and one bullpen guy. I And I'm not, I know there's fans out there that are panicking over the offense. And I'll roll but, with these bats, man. I'm, I'll roll with the bats. You need more how, arms. How, how many games do you think we've got from both? I don't know the answer to this, but how many games do you think we have all year with Jordan and Altuve both in the lineup, both of those guys? Going forward? No, so far. Oh, Not- with, with Jordan and Altuve both in the lineup? Oh, God. Like, I mean, Altuve missed the first month and a half. I mean, you probably have <laughs> – Three ball games? Not Four? yeah, no, it's more than that, but it's not much. What is you know, it? I, I I don't know what the answer. I, I'm telling you, it's probably my guess. It's is maybe twenty, maybe maybe twenty games with both of those guys in the lineup. Uh-huh. I, I don't know the answer to that, but that my point being, we talk about this offense. Who, who do you think the most valuable Astros are? We talked about at the beginning of the season. You talk about the most valuable guys, Altuve for the offense because he's the starter in your eye. Mm-hmm. And and without having both those guys in there, if you want to include Kyle Tucker, sure. But those two guys are at least in the top three, right? 
And those, those guys haven't played together, you know, for most of the year, I would say 75% of the year at the very least. So that's why I don't want to panic about the offense unless somebody tells me this Altuve oblique issue is just going to keep going. And, and, and if, if that's the case, can you win, you know, can you win the championship of Altuve just isn't going to be healthy? You know, that's, that's no. Yeah. No. Yeah. They, you're not. Um, absolutely so, not. So you don't, you're not going to change, you know, like you and I have talked about this. When you talk about like, how can the Astros improve their offense? Well, we got this huge hole because we have the worst offensive player in all of baseball at the catching position. It's a pretty simple fix, isn't it? You get about 200 more OPS on a nightly basis if you flip that guy with a guy that you trade for somebody like that has around a 750 OPS and has got power at the catching position and might be able to throw runners out way better than Maldonado with this. Oh, wait, we got that guy. He's right in our dugout. We don't have to trade for him. I mean, the difference between Martin Maldonado and Yanner Diaz is the same difference between Alex Bregman right now and Jordan Alvarez. That's the difference from going from one of those, from one guy to the other guy. About 200 OPS, that's the difference between Bregman and Jordan Alvarez. That's the difference. The, yeah. rest of the, the rest of the guys, you're not swapping at Altuve. You're not getting Dusty to take Abreu out of there. You're not, you're not, swap, you're not trading for somebody that's going to play Jeremy Pena or Alex Bregman or Kyle Tucker's position, you know, or, or you know, he's going to play. He'll want to play Dubon some. You know that. He, and then there's Chaz. What, what, what are you trading for offensively that's going to be that much? Chaz is one of your best hitters. You're uh-huh. trading for somebody to take over for Chaz? Right. Why? Yeah, sure. And I mean, you're not doing that because of the production that you're getting, not just from Chaz, but also Corey Jelks as well. And when Jordan's back and he's right, if he's not DHing, he'll be in left field. I mean, the production collectively, what you've gotten out of that corner position in the outfield has been awesome. Um, and look, you could make the argument in terms of like the disparity of production over the course of the last two years, because Maldonado's just been that bad, you know, probably for an Astros career, his batting average is about 179. <laughs> and, you know, his on-base percentage, I would uh, be willing to bet probably not much higher than it's been this season, which is about uh, 250. I'll give, him, I'll give him 279 for a career on-base percentage for Maldonado. By the way, the answer to uh, our question, how many games has Jose Altuve and Jordan Alvarez appeared uh, together in this season? 14. 14 ball games, never longer than, I think, uh, if I can remember, a week stretch where they were playing together in the same lineup. There you go. And look, when you hear Dusty Baker, you know, over the last uh, 24 hours talk about, you know, hey, look, when they, after the All-Star break, when we start getting guys back healthy, like, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. You know, he likes this ball club, but he knows it needs to be improved as well. He's no fool. He's also looking at that trade deadline and thinking that, hey, you know what, we'll be fine. I'm, I, I think he's uh, excited to see what Dana can uh, can get done, you know, at the deadline. I know it's going to have to be something big, um, and and invaluable for this ball club because and, you can continue to sustain these types of injuries and lack of production and underperformance from a lot of these guys at just any given point in time. Yeah, I was going to say prayers for Urquidy, prayers for Jordan, prayers for hey. Altuve. Let's get some of these guys back. That's going to be a massive difference. It drops like, everybody down a little bit in the in the lineup and in the starting pitching. I feel like my people, man, uh, are sleeping on Arkady. You know, when that dude gets healthy and and he's back, the guy's a freaking dog. You know, he could be a linchpin for this starting staff. I, I really believe that. The value that he brings on the mound, uh, that's a dude that will go out there and give you six strong innings, you know, when you absolutely need it. And, you know, maybe be, maybe more, maybe beyond. I know he's done it before. Um, you know, he's been more than serviceable. And, hell, how many times did you see him in the postseason last year? You know, I don't think he was an uh, arm they really relied upon hardly at all, right? I mean, he was kind of like that last bullet in their chamber. Like, if we need it, like, he's there. But – they might need everything Jose Urquidy has to offer them this year in the second half. The good thing was if he's on, he's an innings eater because he doesn't he didn't give you like 10 pitch at bats. 
you know, he gives you short at bats. He moves through things pretty quickly. We need a better Arquiti than we saw earlier this year, albeit for only like three starts or something like that, I think. But yeah, I mean, that's going to be a big deal. Um, We went over an hour. It's a longer show, but man, there was a lot of stuff I was excited to talk about. We didn't even get much into, we talk all-star stuff, uh, maybe Thursday, Astros That'd be not, perfect, yeah. not not going to have much as far as an all-star presence, but that's okay. That's okay. I'm about to go see how many dingers these fools are hitting right now. I've got it recorded, so I'll watch it in full later too. But yeah, Thursday show will be a good wrap-up show for uh, the Home Run Derby and the all-star game. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we're rolling during, as he said, Monday night during all that stuff. So yeah, just uh, unfortunately, don't want to have a whole lot of rockets until down the road. But yeah, we got a lot of Astros and just a few weeks away from the Texans, uh, some training camp stuff. So a lot of stuff coming up. Stay with us, guys, and we'll talk to you soon. Let's go. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.